Do you have hope for the future? Are you optimistic and driven by a belief that life will somehow work in your favour? I'm Kim Forrester and today on the Eudaimonia podcast, it's time to honour the imperishable power of hope. Welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. Plug in, relax, and get ready for the goodness as we explore the traits and practices that can help you thrive in life. With your host, Kim Forrester. Lindsay Recknell is a speaker, facilitator, and educator based in Calgary, Canada. Drawing from her personal experiences as the wife of a recovering alcoholic, Lindsay provides a range of courses, seminars, blogs, and podcasts that teach people how to use hope to motivate and propel action. It's my absolute delight to be chatting with Lindsay today to discuss why harnessing hope is vital if we want to live an inspired and fulfilling life. Lindsay Regnall, it's such a delight to have you with us here on the Eudaimonia podcast. How are things with you today? Things are really good. I am so excited to be here with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Much of your work that you do is actually anchored in Dr. Rick Snyder's hope theory. Can you explain to my listeners what this theory is all about? Absolutely. So Dr. Snyder created hope theory, which is essentially goals plus agency thinking, which I interpret as your motivation, plus pathways thinking, which is how you're able to overcome the obstacles that are absolutely going to get in the way. Essentially, it's the willpower and the way power towards achieving our goals. That sounds active. Hope can come across as as quite a passive concept, but you're talking a lot there about action and activity. Is that an important part of having hope? For me, it really is. When I learned about the science of hope and hope theory, it so resonated with me because up until this point, I really thought of hope as this nebulous, you know, feeling, this internal bubbly, anticipatory sort of feeling that we all know, we can all describe, we all recognize when we're feeling it. But when I could connect hope to action, it was huge for me. So for me, the definition of hope is the expectation of future positive result based on taking action over the things I can control. So without action, hope is just a wish. You actually incorporate a lot of science in the work that you do as well around hope. What does research say about hope and its effects on our well-being? There is a ton of science to support hope as the biggest predictor of a life well-lived. So excited to read over the last 20 years, there has been more than 2,000 studies around hope and So many scientists are really focusing on this right now. I'm reading a book by Dr. Chan Hellman and Casey Gwynn called Hope Rising. And they talk about hope as a psychological strength with three key elements. So first it talks about how hope can buffer the effects of adversity and stress. And we can use it as a coping tool. Both adults and kids can use it in their toolbox to help to overcome adversity and trauma. Also talk about how hopeful people are more likely to have better outcomes in life because of the way they think and behave. So hopeful people are naturally inclined to take more action, to think of alternative solutions, and that makes us more likely to have better outcomes. Mm. 
And the final thing that I think is really important and really super resonated with me is that hope can be learned. We can also borrow our hope from other people. It's very contagious. And through our intention, we can really elevate our own levels of hope. So you're saying that we can actually learn to become more hopeful about our lives and about obtaining our goals. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Hope can absolutely be learned and we can borrow it from other people if we are not feeling so hopeful today. That's great news, Lindsay. <laughs> Many people understand the concept of faith, whether that's in, you know, in, in a religious deity or in some form of spirituality or perhaps just faith that things will work out. How does faith differ from hope? So I really believe that both faith and hope are very personal experiences for people. When I first started doing this work, that was the number one question that came up when I told people that I was researching this thing called hope and doing work in the science of hope. People always ask me, how does that connect to faith? And so for me, I believe that faith and hope differ around the action piece. So Mm -hmm. as I talked about, my definition of hope is about that expectation of a future positive result based on action on the things I can control. But with faith, I believe this is more about releasing control and understanding or expectation that something happens regardless of the actions I take, that I will have faith in somebody else to achieve that thing, whether that is a a faith in somebody else or a higher power or just an expectation that something is going to happen down the road. It's more external and hope is more internal, in my opinion. Yeah, as I was asking the question, I realized that that faith is really putting the power out there into someone or something else, whereas hope is obviously about empowering yourself and understanding that you have the ability to make positive changes and work towards your goals. Is that how you'd see it? It is absolutely the definition that's resonated with me, that I have power to use my hope to motivate action. Now, you say that hanging around hopeful people can actually increase your own sense of hopefulness, correct? So hope is (laughs) contagious. Yeah, you bet. Other than hanging around with very hopeful people, (laughs) are there other actions that we can take then to, you know, not just grasp our sense of hope, but actually amplify it and use it productively in our lives? Yeah. So I talk about five ways we can increase hope levels in our lives. I really think that, uh, like I mentioned, that hope is very personal. I think the sort of levels of hope that we're born with, so to speak, is a combination of nature and nurture, you know, our adverse childhood experiences and the things that we've gone through in our lives will absolutely affect our hope levels. But I believe that there's a baseline and that everybody's baseline can be increased. Where that baseline is for people is different, but that we can increase our hope levels. Mm. And I think we can do it in these five ways. The first is to activate the science of hope. And I suggest to do this by creating a bucket list or, you know, identifying your dreams. There's another hope scientist called Dr. Shane Lopez, and he was a mentee of Dr. Snyder, Dr. Rick Snyder. And he used to do this activity with his son called nexting. And he and his son would have conversations about what comes next? What does the future look like after this next step? And I really think that creating these bucket lists and dreaming about the things you'd like to be, see, do, or have, it really engages the limbic system of the brain, which is helping to create neural pathways to our hopeful future. 
The second thing that'll help to increase hope levels in our lives is the progress towards our goals. More often, it's the progress that matters more than the actual goal. Progress makes it real. You know, the action implied in the progress gives us that sense of agency, that part of hope theory, and that the feeling after the small achievements is what keeps us feeling hopeful that we'll accomplish the next things that we're setting out to do. Mm. I think the third way we can increase hope is to connect what we're doing with why we're doing it. I'm a huge believer in connecting our goals to our internal motivation. You know, making our goals personal and using that intrinsic motivation as fuel to take action over the things we can control. I really think that's going to encourage us towards our goals, even when the easier option is to quit. Hmm. Fourthly, I think we can teach our brains to look for alternative solutions. Encourage us to use our pathways thinking to overcome the obstacles and barriers that are absolutely going to get in the way. You know, brainstorming with other people, learning about new technologies or theories or different ways of thinking. Those are all ways we can be more creative in our problem solving and move the blockages that are going to get in the way. And lastly, I think the number five way to increase our hope is our most important one. And this is related to modeling behavior out loud. Mm. This is the contagion. If you're feeling particularly hopeful today, model that behavior out loud. Maybe someone else needs to see it, be inspired by you. So share your hope and when you have some extra and borrow hope when you need it. So once again, that entire concept of hope as you see it is so active. It is it is us engaging in hope and using it to propel us towards our goals. I love what you said there in number three, though, about how having a sense of purpose or meaning, having that why is really important. Do you feel that there is an intrinsic connection between purpose, having purpose and feeling hopeful about the future? I really think that it does, because if we want to make our future better than it is today, I feel like connecting to our values and why we want our future to be better than today is a very hopeful idea. It's about intention. It's about moving in directions that, you know, are important to us that are going to impact ourselves and our friends and our family, our community, our humanity in ways that are important to us. And and that's very hopeful for me. Really interesting is St. Augustine has a quote, hope has two beautiful daughters, he said. (laughs) Their names are anger and courage, anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain as they are. Now, how do you feel about that particular quote? Do you feel, Lindsay, that anger and courage have a part to play in activating hope? Yes, I think both anger and courage could have a part to play in activating hope, but I don't think anger is necessarily a requirement. I do think the daughter called courage often encourages hope Mm. because to accomplish big goals, we often have to take big risks and that takes courage, right? Courage to act, courage to speak, courage to connect. All of those things require bravery in some form. I think anger can be part of the motivation a person draws on to make a change, the why in hope theory related to agency thinking. But I also believe we make changes toward a better future inspired by other emotions, not related to anger. You know, you can want to change the world from a place of joy or ambition, a desire to feel satisfied or accomplished. I don't think it has to be anger, although it could be for sure. You also say that telling your story is a really powerful facet of engaging hope. What are some of the ways that we can tell our stories and why does it matter that we do so? 
Telling my story has been huge for me. I am not good at talking out loud. I would absolutely much rather keep those things inside, you know, show up as this strong, capable, powerful human who has it all together, which is clearly a big fat lie. <laughs> um, so telling my story out loud has been super cathartic for me, uh, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a friend or a colleague or even a more public forum like this podcast or a conference or a networking group. Mm. It has been super powerful. For me, it was when I first recognized that I wasn't alone, mm. you know, that sense of community, that social connection with other people who had experienced the same things or similar that I have. Talking out loud has also helped me learn things I didn't know, questions I didn't even think to ask, especially taught me about feelings I wasn't sure how to name. Mm. You know, sometimes I tell bits of my story to relate to someone else or if someone else has asked for advice, I'll share part of my story and as an example of a different pathway they could take. Sometimes it's more of a testimonial to show someone that although it's ridiculously hard sometimes, it's not impossible and it feels so great when it's out. Yeah, talking out loud has been a big relief for me. It's really interesting. So often in these interviews, it's that sense of common humanity that comes up. It's almost like when we engage with others, when we are vulnerable and courageous enough to share our stories with others, we realize that we're not alone in our struggles. We're not alone in our situations in life. And as you were saying just earlier on, I imagine sharing your story and realizing that you're not alone places you in a position where you can borrow hope mm -hmm. from others is that right? Who have made their way through that situation before? Yeah, absolutely. Because when I hear other people who have come through the things, the journey that I'm at the beginning of, that makes me very hopeful that I can also <laughs> be that guy someday. You know, yeah. it's, it is very contagious and, and it often is what keeps me going on particularly, you know, dark moments for sure. Well, I think that's a really powerful concept then for my listeners to take away because as you say, Sharing our struggles and sharing our vulnerabilities is not always easy. However, it seems that if we want to feel more hopeful about the future, it's one of the major steps that we need to take. You also teach, Lindsay, that knowledge mm -hmm. is a powerful tool in our hope toolbox. Now, why on earth do you say that? I'm a huge reader. I always have been. I joke that my biography should probably read, she was born, she learned to read, she did things with the stuff she learned, and someday she'll die. <laughs> I've always found so much solace and peace in knowledge, especially when I'm feeling overwhelmed or indecisive. Mm. Learning really helps me get grounded. You know, for me, I have an analytical thinking preference, and the more data is better for me. I recognize that not everyone is the same that needs all of that data, but I really believe that any knowledge is good knowledge. It gives us choice. Mm. It's especially important in what we do with that knowledge. You know, as it relates to hope, I think back to what we talked about in hope theory, you know, identifying goals. If I'm going to set a goal and I don't know how to get there, knowledge and learning is the only way I'm going to accomplish that goal, that mm. progress towards the goal. I don't know what I don't know until I've learned the things I need to learn. And I guess the point is that the knowledge doesn't necessarily have to be scientific knowledge, which is what you're drawn to, correct? It can be, it can be the knowledge that you gain from sharing your story with others around you. 
it is all the kinds of knowledge. It is book learning. It is human interaction. It is learning from other people, especially learning from other people. I think, you know, identifying those mentors that you can learn from, those people that know way more than I do, those are the, that's where I'm going to get my knowledge. It's, it's academic papers. It's, you know, pop culture. It's having conversations with people like you who ask me questions that are very deep and bring up some self-awareness. It's all of those things. It's the well-roundedness of knowledge and getting it from all the different places that is so powerful for me. Well, that seems like another great first step. If if any of us are sitting in that space, and we've all been there, where we have a hope, we have a dream for the future, but no concept of how to actually put that into action, correct? So, so we're actually missing that component of the hope theory. So knowledge truly is power in that regard. Yes. Lindsay, on your website, you share a lot of your personal story. You're very open and vulnerable about what you've experienced. At one point, you actually remark how you didn't realize that you had lost hope. You didn't realize it had gone from your life until that moment where it came back. Looking back now, do you feel that there are ways you could have recognized in the moment that you had actually lost hope? Oh, for sure. Hindsight is definitely twenty twenty. I mean, I have spent the last three years reflecting back and thinking, man, if I'd only recognized that I'd lost that hope prior to the time I recognized I got it back. I mean, how much time did I waste by just going through the motions and, you know, showing up and just just being in that status quo? You know, I wish I'd recognized that I was worrying more than usual, that I was really putting in the motions instead of enjoying life the way I typically do. I knew I was having trouble sleeping, but I wish I'd connected it to something deeper than just the extra coffee I'd had that day or the work deadline I had coming up that I was worked up about. You know, I knew I was feeling helpless when it came to knowing what to do to help my husband and our family, but that was a helpless feeling, more externally driven, and I hadn't connected that to hopelessness, which I feel is very personal, very internally driven. I wish I'd recognized it sooner, but I'm at least thankful that I did recognize it. I said earlier that I'm not good at talking out loud. I'm also not great at internal self-reflection. That's a scary place to be in my head. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. You know, that the vulnerability and the, yeah, the, the fear that comes with that, that deep self-awareness. But I am on a journey and, and it really was the catalyst for this journey that I'm on. Okay, because a lot of those symptoms that you were talking about there, I think we've all felt them at certain times through our lives, but I think we might mislabel them. You know, it might be a sense of despair that we're feeling or just unmotivated or just feeling low in mood. What you've actually said there is that we should check in and see how hopeful we are about life when we're feeling like we don't have energy to get on with our lives or, or chase our goals. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think you nailed it. The conscious checking in with ourselves. And the question to ask is, do I expect that my future is going to be better than today? Wow. And if it's not, then your hope is missing. 
I don't think it's ever gone. I absolutely don't think that hope ever leaves us, you know, packs his bags and takes off. <laughs> it's just hiding. It's down deep. Mm. And so I really think that that's the question to ask. Do I expect my future is going to be better than today? And if it's not, then that's the time to do something about it. That's the time to take action. I love yeah. that a lot. Tell me, Lindsay, are there occasions in your view where hope is unhelpful? Do you see situations where hope will actually prevent us from making healthy choices or accepting reality the way that it is? So I believe there's a difference between hope and optimism. And often I think it's the optimism that prevents us from making healthy choices or accepting reality. Mm. I think that hope is actually the part of us that makes accepting reality better. So for example, I believe high hope people are also pretty rational and reasonably logical. Like I talked earlier about the limbic system in our brains. Part of the limbic system is the amygdala, which can be sort of characterized as our guard dog. This is the part of the brain that triggers our reactions to emotions and spurs us to act when we feel threatened. Hmm. But it's also the part of our brain that helps us let go of goals that don't matter anymore or aren't in our best interest. So whether we listen to that guard dog or not is a totally different question. But hopeful people using their hope to make decisions are well positioned to expect positive outcomes because of that hope circuit, that limbic system um, and using our amygdala in that way. Okay. So there again, it's all about that taking action and moving forward towards a more positive goal or outcome. Because the reason I ask that question is I feel, Lindsay, that some people may sit in toxic situations and instead of taking action, they simply use optimism, as you would term it, mm -hmm. to just believe that somehow things will change. Do you feel that in those moments is when people really need to connect in and say, what changes can I make? in my life that can actually take that optimism and turn it into hope. Yes, I think, again, that back to that action word, optimism can often, I feel like, can be kind of that blind faith, that holding on to that it's going to be awesome, it's going to be perfect, it's going to work out mm -hmm. without actually taking any agency or having any control over the things we can control. My mental health counselor talks to me about I will make a change when the tolerable becomes intolerable. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I connect to most in my own hope is recognizing if I'm in a tolerable situation and there are things that I know I can do and maybe I'm not actioning them yet, that's okay. That there is forgiveness in also taking no action mm -hmm. because... It, you're not ready. It's not the right time. It's not the right space. It's not intolerable yet. That sort of permission to take no action is also an action. That's also hope that you are going to make the future better than today when you're ready to do that thing. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes taking no action is the action in itself. Yeah, I think the important thing there is it is a conscious decision, correct? You've mm -hmm. checked in, yeah. you're, you're self-aware, you are aware of it may be tolerable in your environment, however you know that at some point it may become intolerable and you're making mm -hmm. a conscious decision to not engage hope and take action. I think that's really, really powerful. 
A few weeks ago, Lindsay, I was talking to one of my guests about positivity and how the media actually compels a sense of learned helplessness in us because they, you know, they have this negativity bias. And I was wondering if our modern media diet also, in your view, instills a sense of learned hopelessness in us. I really liked this question a lot because I have learned about learned helplessness through my work in hope because Dr. Martin Seligman is the gentleman that founded positive psychology and hope is a subscience of positive psychology. He started his work in learned helplessness back in the 60s. If we go back to what we were talking about helplessness being external and hopelessness being internal, mm. then I think the media does contribute to that feeling of hopelessness by suggesting we are helpless to make a large impact on society. Mm. I, th I think it's about our way power and our willpower again. If we don't feel like we have a way to change things in the world, for example, we will feel lower levels of hope. Or if we feel like we've lost our willpower to take action, that's also going to lower our hope. We talk about hope as being contagious. So when we're inundated with messages that say that we can't affect change or the problems are too big for us mm. to solve, mm. we learn that the only possible solution must be hopelessness. Yes, I see what you're saying there. Certainly, I think there's a lot of the news headlines sort of convey the message that we have no sense of agency, that there is nothing we can do, which of course is going to take away that sense of hope within us. Let's expand on this whole sense of society then. Do you feel that the principles you teach on a personal level regarding hope can also be applied on a humanity level, on a societal level? Are there ways that we can motivate hope for humanity and for the planet? Absolutely. I absolutely could not believe this more. Hope is so personal, but when we apply hope theory in our workplace, at our schools, in our communities, we're lifting up our individuals, which can't help but lift up our society and our planet. Mm. Teaching people how to set and progress towards their goals, connect to the values that are important to them, helping them keep moving forward towards those goals, even when it seems impossible, and then Teaching how to be more creative and employ every possible option to solve for problems. That's exactly the equation we need as humans to change the world. And one of those things, I was going to ask you how we can inspire hope in others, but I think you answered that question very early on. One of the things that we can do to inspire hope for humanity and inspire hope in others is to simply go out there and express our hopefulness. Would you agree with that? You bet. Model that behavior out loud. Yeah. You know, if you're if you are feeling hopeful, tell the world you're feeling hopeful. Do the things that make you more hopeful, that that bring you joy. Other people are going to see that. You know, like I say, we don't know what is going to impact other people. We don't know what they need from us. And so if we can model our behavior out loud, People are going to see that. They're going to be inspired by that. They're going to be motivated and, and want to accomplish their own dreams because they can see that it's possible. Okay, flip side of the same coin. What is the healthiest thing for us to do when we're feeling really helpless and hopeless? 
we're feeling a bit low about the future or about life and someone comes into our space and they are filled with hope, are there behaviours that we really need to make sure that we are not exhibiting in that moment so that we catch their hope rather than chip it away from them? I think it comes back to that consciousness again, like we talked about being aware of how we're feeling and the impact it's having on us internally, but then also the impact it's having on those around us. Mm. We shouldn't feel like we have to show up in a particular way or impact other people in a particular way if we aren't feeling awesome. There is something to be said for feeling what we're feeling and recognizing it and then moving through it. But if we notice that someone in our space has hope to spare and we want to grab onto it, it's that consciousness again, that Mm. recognition of what they're doing and can we do that too? Even if it's just something small, like if someone is volunteering in their community, they have connected their goal of, you know, reducing poverty to their action of volunteering at the food bank. If we're inspired by that, but we have a hard time getting out the door right now because of how we're feeling, the hopelessness maybe that we're feeling today, maybe a small action that we can take is to... I don't know, start a GoFundMe campaign or something Mm. like that, right? We're modeling our behavior in the scope and scale that we are capable of doing at the time we can do it. I really think it's about any action, no matter how small or how big. It doesn't have to be this momentous, huge, monstrous, overwhelming thing. We can start small and those small steps build confidence, builds that foundation that we can continue to build on. That's awesome. And Just moving on from that question about what we can do personally, my final question is one that I ask every guest on the Eudaimonia podcast, Lindsay, can you offer a simple daily exercise? Now, this could be a practice, a mantra, perhaps a ritual that can help my listeners feel more hopeful in their day-to-day lives. I think it's one question that we can ask ourselves every day. And that question is, what action or step am I going to take today to make my future better than it is today? Mm. And it's scope and scale. What's important to me on a daily basis can fluctuate. So that action or step that I'm going to take could be big or small or somewhere in between. But again, it's that action that we're going to take to move us towards our hopeful future, right? Maybe it's deciding to reach out and request an information interview with a model or mentor we've been admiring from afar. Maybe it's something as simple as get up and have a shower and put on fresh clothes, moving us towards that bigger intention of getting outside if we've been suffering from a particular bad bout of depression. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, we get to choose. You just need to make that choice to do something. Our hope, the expectation of future positive result based on taking action over the things we can control is totally within our control. We just need to choose to take the action. Lindsay, this has been such a fascinating conversation. You've really taken that whole concept of the passivity of hope and you've made me realize that hope really is something that resides within us that we need to choose to activate on a daily basis. I'm really grateful to you for sharing your knowledge with us. If people want to learn more about you and the work that you do around hope and activating hope, where can they find you? I think the best place to get to know me and the work that I do is on my podcast. It is called Hope Motivates Action. You can find it on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and my website, 
I have a website. It's called Expert in Hope, and you can find out all about my programs. I specialize in increasing hope levels in the workplace, and then I speak on using hope to motivate action, as well as listening for better health and other workplace mental health initiatives. Well, I encourage anyone who would like to activate a little bit more hope in their life to go along and visit your website and have a listen to your podcast, Lindsay Recknell. Thank you so much for choosing to be a part of the Eudaimonia podcast. It's been an honor to chat with you today. It has been so wonderful. I so appreciate you reaching out and for this conversation. The 19th century poet Emily Dickinson wrote, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tunes without the words and never stops at all. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, please subscribe and check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes. I'm Kim Forrester. Until next time, be well, be kind to yourself, and allow hope to fuel your actions. Music